Well, good morning, Oakwood family. So glad you're here with us this morning. And before we get into the word this morning, I just want to mention a couple things. I just wanted to just kind of give a shout out to a couple of ministries here in the church. First of all, uh, I was watching the online feed and listening to it backstage, and it is so much better than it was like a few weeks ago. And all the people online watching right now said, amen. Okay, so I just want to recognize uh, Michael Giuliano, who's doing that, the tech team, the camera guys today. You guys were awesome. I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you do. They, they do that and they practice and they come in here Thursday nights for a few hours and sometimes Saturdays and uh, just, man, it's, it's awesome and I just really, really appreciate that. It's, it's made the online experience so much better, so I appreciate that. Also wanted to recognize his quilters. Uh, the uh, city of Enid at the council meeting this week gave this proclamation uh, that uh, February 18th was going to be his quilters day. Uh, for the work that they have done for the kingdom of God um, in our community and around the world. And I'll just read some of the things his quilters has done. They've made thousands of masks and distributed them uh, when you couldn't get any masks around here and did it all for free. Um, they also distributed quilts um, to fire victims, uh, cancer patients in Enid, uh, Enid nursing home residents. Uh, of course, uh, the, the youth auctions coming up in a couple weeks. They make quilts for the auction uh, that you can purchase to support the youth. Uh, they've given quilts to Mercy House babies, dresses for Africa, Salvation Army during Christmas, and they provided 50 quilts to the Philippines as, as well as using their sewing skills to send dresses. So uh, they said, hey, they wanted to recognize that. That was the mayor had reached out to us about that, George C. Pankinen. And so just want to say thank you to his quilters and the work that they do in another ministry of the church. I just think it's awesome when the world looks at the church and recognizes a ministry and says, hey, and then they even do a proclamation in the city to it. I mean, you know, it's pretty awesome. So thank you to his quilters and the work that they do for the kingdom of God. Yeah, we got we to be able to celebrate those things because that doesn't happen much in the world nowadays is, is the world, uh, you know, kind of recognizing the church for its work. And, uh, and yet we know we serve a risen Savior and a mighty God who redeems and has done uh, so much good for us. And, and I'm hoping uh, today's message that at the end you'll, you'll feel that heart's cry from God uh, for all of us. Now, I, I do want to say uh, that the message today is commandment number seven. Okay, so we've been in this series for a lot of weeks and you might remember that the first four weeks was about about our relationship with God. Uh, God was giving the, the Israelites these commandments that, that talked about his relationship uh, with him. And then now he shifted in the, in the last uh, two weeks and then today to about our relationship with other people, made in the image of God, right? The image bearers of God. How do we relate to other people? And that began with honor your father and mother, and last week was do not murder. And today is commandment number seven, uh, do not commit adultery. Now, when we, when we kind of throw that out there and, and say that, some people immediately tune out. It's like, well, I don't struggle with that. I've never committed adultery. I love my wife. I love my husband. Never plan on doing that. So tune out. Uh, some of you uh, may be tempted to tune out because you're single. Okay? But I promise if you'll stay with us this morning, there's application for everyone through this commandment number seven. So let's look at it together, Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bible, uh, if you have your phone or you follow along on your tablet or your iPad, just download the Oakwood app. All the scriptures and bullet points and all that are there for you. Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments and commandment number seven is verse 14. This is a long one, so just bear with us as we read through it. Take a few minutes here. Just kidding. Commandment number seven says this, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. 
Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. And again, this can be like murder, right? Some of you were last week with the murderers like, man, I don't struggle with that. I, I don't, you know. But then we read something in, in Jesus' famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel last week. And you remember what he said? I mean, Jesus raises the bar for Christians. He says, you've heard it said that you should not murder. But I tell you that anyone who hates his brother is already like you have committed murder in your heart. And we talked about where that stems from and where that comes from. Well, guess what? The Son of God had something to say about adultery, too. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew 5, 27. Jesus' commentary on this seventh commandment. Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Talk about raising the bar. That if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Maybe this adultery commandment applies more than we ever thought. Look, look what else Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, then cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. What is Jesus saying? This is serious. And then it matters to God. It matters to the Son of God. And so it should matter to us. It would be better for you to lose a part of your body than to continue sinning against God. And again, Jesus just elevates this commandment for us by saying, if you even look lustfully, it's like you've already committed that in your heart. And the call of God and the call of the Son of God here is that God wants us to be faithful to our spouse, but not just indeed but also in thought as well. It takes it to a whole other level, doesn't it? So when you choose to commit adultery and commit that sexual sin outside of the marriage context which God designed, you are destroying the intimacy of your marriage. And I hate to say it, but I think it's true in many cases that it will never be the same. It'll never be the same. You see, we need to understand that purity paves the way to intimacy. Purity paves the way to intimacy. And this makes sense if you think about it, because this has been the rule uh, to be intimate and to be close to someone since the very beginning. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were created in the book of Genesis to walk in fellowship and intimacy with God in the garden. But then they chose to sin against God, to go against his will and his ways. And when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and that sin separates us from God. And we see that intimacy is lost because of sin right there in Genesis. And so it is the same in our relationships with God, but also our relationships with other people. That when we sin against God, we lose intimacy. And you will lose intimacy in your marriage if you're not pure. Not only in the area of adultery, but in your thought life as well. Purity paves the way to intimacy. And here's another truth this morning. Sexual sin is unlike 
any other sin. And it's not because it is more offensive to God than any of the other commandments. It's because the damage from it is so severe. You see, the Bible says when two come together in sexual union, that the two become one flesh. And if two become one flesh outside of God's design, which was two married, committed people, committed for life, a husband and a wife, if it's any other form of that, it is going against God's design, and the consequences are dear. The consequences go on and on. I think that sex outside of the marriage context is the best way to mess up your life. And it's also the best way for you to mess up other people's lives. Uh, when I was thinking about illustrating this this week, I, I thought about bringing uh, an, an, an easel up here and putting a, a pad of paper on it and drawing it out just to, so you get a visual of it. If a, if a husband from one family and a wife from another family came together and committed adultery, how many people does that really affect? Well, it affects them and it affects their children. It can affect the next generation. In fact, it can change the family tree. Because what if these two people come together and now it's like, I know we've sinned and we've committed adultery, but now we're going to, we decide, man, I mean, we love, we love, we just love each other. I mean, lust, well, we, we, we call it love, it's lust, okay, but yeah, okay. But, you know, and, and so they decide to start a family, and now the family tree, whoop, 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 got all these, you know, new family trees coming out of it, and then, well, this person remarries, and now, now this person remarries, and then this one got divorced, and they've remarried again, and now we have seven sets of grandparents that the kids have to go to for Christmas. Seven Christmases. And it is, it sounds funny to us because it's absurd, but I'm telling you what, this is how it works. The sexual sin can take you down a path that leads that direction. And it messes up families, and it messes up kids, and it can mess generations, and it changes family trees. And it is not how God designed it to be. And that's why he just simply states it, right? Simply stated commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. Don't do it, because you can mess up so many people in a very, very bad way. It's interesting when you get to the New Testament, uh, not only does Jesus make a comment about this, but the Apostle Paul does as well. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, and he puts it this way. How should we deal with sexual sin in our lives? Flee from sexual immorality. Because all other sin a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Uh, that word flee means exactly like it sounds. Run for the hills and don't ever look back. Run. Flee in those tempting situations. Flee when you're in those circumstances where you feel like you may give in. Flee if you're having a problem with pornography on your phone or on your computer. Flee from all of these things. And remember that Jesus has raised the bar here and he said, hey, if you even think about it, it's like you've already committed to it in your heart. And he's so concerned about our hearts. He says to flee from all of these things. So that you can have not only intimacy with me as your heavenly father, but intimacy in your relationship with your spouse. And intimacy with friendships and relationships on the earth because it's pure. Because purity paves the way to intimacy. 
What I want to do with the rest of the message this morning is give you some practical things that you can use. How, how do we do this? How do we fight this? Because we, we see it obviously from Jesus, the mindset. We see it from the Apostle Paul, the command to flee. How do we put flee into practice? Let me share several things this morning. Practical boundaries for avoiding adultery. Number one, don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Now, I know I've, I've talked to, to people in the church, business people, that says, hey, I'm required for work to travel with people of the opposite sex. They, they, they have this woman, we're going to this conference together, they make us fly on the plane together, our seats are next to each other, uh, we rent a car together, when we get to the hotel, we have separate rooms, but they're next door to each other. And so, you know, it's really hard for me to avoid, okay, I understand, sometimes you are forced into these circumstances, but then what you do is you FaceTime your spouse the entire trip. Accountability, right? You text your best friend, say, hey, I'm going on this business trip, and I want you to text me every five minutes and ask me how I'm doing, and to make sure that my heart or my mind is not drifting in this direction. Folks, we've got to get practical about this stuff, because that right there has destroyed many a marriage, many a family, and many a life. And some of you may be sitting here this morning and say, that was my dad's story. That was my mom's story. It was someone from work, and they went on this business trip. And that's where such and such happened. And look at where we're at today. If you have to do this, beg your, your manager not to. And if it's required by your company, please take some safeguards. Thank goodness for FaceTime with your spouse, right? This is something I ask our, our staff to abide by as well, is even in, in Enid. So many times, you know, hey, we're going to go down to this store. And, you, want to, you know, if it's, if it's a, a guy and, and, a, and a woman, then we say no, and, and we just take separate vehicles. Just don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Number two is don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex, okay? Let's just be honest on this one. It's awkward, okay? It feels like a date. It looks like a date. And, and it's weird, okay? If, if, if you went out for, for uh, lunch today after church and you see me sitting there having um, lunch with someone who is not my wife, doesn't that just feel and look and just, it's, it's kind of weird, you know? It's kind of like, well, why isn't he with, why isn't he with Amy? I mean, why is he, who is that, you know? Or, or maybe you know him. You're like, why are they eating, why are they eating Lunch together, just the two of them, that's weird, you know. Take, take your spouse, take your family if you have to have a conversation, but don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. It feels too much like a date, and you're weirding everybody out whether they'll tell you the truth or not. You are, okay? Not smart. It's not smart. Uh, intimacy happens a lot of times over food. You see that in the Scripture. When Jesus came to your house and said, hey, I want to share a meal at your house. Hey, Zacchaeus. It was like he was approving that relationship with Zacchaeus and wanting to build intimacy into that relationship with Zacchaeus when he said, hey, I'm going to your house today to share a meal. So don't do it. Third thing, don't confide in, counsel, or quote-unquote help members of the opposite sex. Get them help. Don't be their help. This is one of those things that good Christians do, Right? And especially if you're in a position like I am as a pastor or maybe you're a counselor and, and maybe that, that's part of my line of work is that people come to me for uh, counsel, pastoral advisement, whatever it is. You just have to be smart and set the boundaries there. 
You have to be smart. You know, we have, we have some policies here on our church staff that if somebody, you know, of the opposite sex wants to come meet with us once, uh, we got windows in our offices. We tell the, the, the secretaries, you know, that, that we're going to be meeting with someone of the opposite sex. We try to keep those meetings as brief as possible. You know, sometimes there's, there's tears and someone's dumping their load, and we want to be there for them pastorally. But at the same time, we want to be really smart about it. And so we're, we're more than likely, if you're someone of the opposite sex, not going to set up 19 sessions of counseling with you for an hour and a half for 19 weeks in a row. I just don't think it's wise. We might meet with you once or, or twice, but a lot of times we make referrals uh, to, to counselors. A lot of times uh, we'll, uh, what I like to do personally is I bring Amy in. Because Amy's a woman, and she can relate to what you're going through better than I can. And Amy's got a background in family relations and child development. Amy loves Jesus, and Amy's smarter than I am. And so, uh, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I mean, seriously, if a woman comes to me, I'll say, is it okay if my wife like, comes in with us to talk, and, and we talk through things. And it's, it's been a huge benefit to have both Amy and I together doing that. And so, there's, there's so many things that we can do if we're just smart about these things. But so many of us, we, under this guise of helping, ended up in uh, some kind of feelings or relationship with someone when it was really maybe unintentional. But you need to understand and make the statement, he or she does not need me. They need the Lord. They need God. And however I can get them there the best and still protect my marriage and still protect my integrity, that's what needs to happen. And so do they need help? Yes. Do they need you? No. They can get help from someone else. Make sure that you offer appropriate help. Fourth thing this morning, practical boundaries for avoiding adultery. When you feel your heart or your desire drifting to a specific person other than your spouse, tell someone about it and flee. Run away from that relationship and tell someone about it. And I know sometimes you're thinking, man, if I told my spouse, it would just make them so insecure, and, and I, I really don't know what to do. And some of us have the relationship with our spouse that we would want to tell them, and, and that would be something that they would you know, help us with, keep us accountable with, whatever. But sometimes, you know, you need to call that brother or that sister in the Lord and say, hey, I, I just noticed today I was thinking this, and then my mind went there, and like, help me, you know, and, and talk that through and have some accountability set up with, with someone. If you're married, you should know exactly where your spouse's boundaries are with other people. Maybe your, your wife or your husband doesn't want you to, to have conversations with, with them on the phone, or, or maybe it's, it's about this or that. In the world of texting, it's really hard sometimes, because in the world of texting, we can just shoot you know, whoever a text all the time. Make sure those texts are, are, el are eligible to be read by your spouse. I mean, just hand her or him the phone at the end of the day and say, hey, I just want you to let you know I... Texted a bunch of people, and three of them were women today, or three of them were men today, and here, and just be open about that. If you're, if you're trying to cover it, it makes everyone wonder, why are you trying to cover it? Why are you trying to hide that from your spouse? Be smart about these things. If you find your heart beginning to drift towards someone other than your spouse, then tell someone immediately and flee. Some other practical things and how we can uh, think through these things is, Obvious, don't put yourself in tempting situations. I mean, that's what flee means, is to run away from the tempting situations. And this, is, and this includes all, what a lot of people do, and they say this is the number one uh, thing that uh, leads to divorce and to uh, adultery today. And that is, uh, you'll, you'll get the tone of this, let me just read this. Uh, don't friend old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook, okay? 
Don't friend old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook. Don't text old boyfriends or girlfriends. Don't email old boyfriends or girlfriends. Don't talk to old boyfriends and girlfriends. And don't meet up with old boyfriends and girlfriends for coffee when they're in town. Oh, so-and-so's in town. I haven't seen them in 20 years. No, 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 no. Yes, if you need to meet up with them, what do you do? You bring your wife along, right? You bring your husband along, and they bring their wife or their husband along, and you can sit down and catch up and talk that way and reminisce that way. But it's, it's just danger. Sound the alarm. I mean, the Apostle Paul, if he were alive today, I just think he would just preach this all the time. It's like, flee, run away. Don't do it. Don't even let your mind go there. And that means you don't let your feet take you there. Practical boundaries for avoiding adultery. And I could give you a hundred more, but I think you get the point. This is serious. And this is to protect your very soul from you becoming one with someone who you're not committed in a marriage with. Now, I told you single people to kind of hang on that this was going to apply to you. So I have some guidelines for single people about how to not commit adultery. The first one is this. Gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Okay, just... Just kidding. I don't want a bunch of people to come in next week. You know, it's like, the preacher told me to gouge out my eyes with a spoon. Why a spoon, you know? And yeah, so it's just, it's a joke, but really it isn't. Because what did Jesus say? If you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And some of you that may have struggled with or are struggling with pornographic images, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Gouge out your eyes with a spoon might be a good idea. What did Jesus say about that? It would be better to lose an eye than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That serious. Maybe gouge out your eyes with a spoon is necessary. I don't know. I hope not. Second thing, advice, guidelines for single people. Apply the married people's boundaries in your relationships with married people. If you'll take everything we just talked about with married people and you'll apply those to all of your friends who are married um, and to their spouses that are married to them, then all is well there. Apply all of those principles to those relationships. Number three, and this is, goes to the flee from sexual immorality part, no sleepovers ever. Okay, Sleepovers are for 10-year-olds. This includes living together. Now, I know culturally this, is, this has become culturally acceptable, but let's, let's always say that it's not acceptable to God. It's culturally acceptable. You know, try before you buy. I've even had the justification from some Christians that would, would say, well, this is to help keep the divorce rates ra- down. Is if we live together, we make sure, you know, and we have all the benefits of marriage with no commitment, that's going to somehow be, serve us well, and, and, and it's going to make sure that when we do make a commitment, that it's going to be better. And, and Come on, people. Seriously? You think you're smarter than God? He's very clear on this. The Apostle Paul Right, most of the New Testament is extremely clear on this. Flee. Flee. Run away. And so, don't get in those situations. And this really goes into the, the fourth thing here. Guidelines for single people. Don't put yourself in situations when you're tempted. Flee. Okay? So, no cars on dirt roads after dark. No cars alone at night. No cars alone at all, maybe, if you're single. Somebody say Amen. <laughs> It's because he's got a teenage daughter, I bet. I've got three of them, so. 
Yeah, we were rethinking that, that policy. You know, but be smart about this. If you know there's a temptation there with this, with this person, even if you're dating, it's like, don't flirt, flee. And so you put those hard boundaries down. Don't go over to the empty house when you know it's empty. I mean, be smart about these things. You're putting yourself in temptation's way. It's something that drives me crazy, and I remember this from my, from my youth ministry days and, and, and talking to youth all the time. It's like if God fenced in your yard, and the fence is actually there to protect you. It's to keep the bad things out, and it's to keep the good things in. Why do we find ourselves, there's a fence here, why do we find ourselves always at the fence? Touching the fence, looking over the fence, is it greener on the other side of the fence, you know, walking on top of the fence, you know, balancing on the fence. It's like, why, why are we not back here? And I wonder sometimes if when the Apostle Paul said flee in 1 Corinthians, I wonder if he was like saying flee to go get closer to God. It wasn't just getting away from sin, it was actually get closer to God. Flee, run into the arms of Jesus. Maybe that's what the fleeing is really about. It's about you getting your life and your heart right with Christ and aligned with Christ and aligned with his vision for it. Because we have a choice to make. You flee or you flirt. And so many times flirting is going to blow up in your face. Now we can focus on just the repercussions of this kind of sin for just you. But the repercussions for other people, including the person that you commit the sin with, is just astronomical. Psychologists will tell you there's a soul tie to somebody that you are intimate like that with. A soul tie for life. This is why the Bible is so clear. Flee from it, and Jesus says, don't even let your mind go there. It's so much easier to commit the physical act if your mind has already gone there. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, man, this is great. Huh, good, good, yeah. Wish I'd heard that five months ago. Or for some of you, I wish I'd heard that five years ago. Or maybe for somebody, I wish I'd heard that 20 years ago. Because everything you described in the, in the sermon earlier, I just kept sinking down on my seat because I was like, huh, yeah, that was me. In fact, I could come up and give a testimony of all the messed up lives from that one choice. And again, I want to reiterate, it, it's serious to God, and there's so much about it in the Bible, because I think that the repercussions of it are so great. It's not that God thinks that, well, you're more terrible if you do this. It's just that the consequences of it affect more people in deeper ways. But I want to give you some hope this morning. There was a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus was in town. And the leaders and, and, and the Jews brought her uh, before Jesus. And in Leviticus it said that if someone commits adultery and you catch them uh, and they're in an adulterous relationship, you are to stone them to death. That was the penalty, okay? So pretty serious, right? So this woman is, is down on her knees, and they're about to stone her to death. And they said, hey, Jesus. They're, they're trying to catch Jesus, you know. It's like, hey, we can catch the Son of God off guard here. You know, hey, Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we're to stone a person who's committed adultery. What do you say? And then 
the way the story goes is Jesus knelt down and drew something in the sand. I don't know what he wrote there. I don't know if he's like write, writing scripture or maybe he was so mad he's like trying to chill out. You know, I don't, I don't know. But he gets up and he says, hey, let you who are without sin cast the first stone. Go for it. Any of you that have no sin in your life, go ahead and cast the first stone. And to a person, the story goes that they dropped the rocks and they left. And then what Jesus does next is so awesome and amazing. And hear this this morning. If you need hope of any kind of sinfulness in your life, not just committing adultery, this applies to all sinfulness. He goes over the one. He says, where are your accusers? She's like, there there are no more. They're they're gone. I picture that he has her stand up. And then he tells her, go. He didn't stop there. Listen to what he says, how he ends this exchange with this woman. Think how emotional she is. Think how scared she was. Jesus says, go and sin no more. Now, you may think, well, it was most loving when Jesus kind of called off the, the, the people that were doing the stoning. It, it, when, he, when he called them off, that was like the greatest act in that. You know, was, was, he was, she was offering her uh, forgiveness and, and saved her life. But what saved her life really was go and sin no more. And some of you today may say, man, I have this, this legacy of sexual sin in my life. And... <laughs> You know, there's times I just feel like God can't forgive that. I made this mistake. I lost my purity, and it's in my mind all the time, and I just, what do you do? Well, let me give you this. The Sermon on the Mount that we've been reading the last couple weeks, you know, where Jesus gives the commentary on murder, and now the commentary today on you shall not commit adultery. Toward the end of that sermon, he gives this illustration. It's found in Matthew 7, verse 24. Listen to the words of Jesus as he ends this famous Sermon on the Mount. It's like the closer, okay? Therefore, anytime you say therefore in the Bible, you have to see what it's there for. And therefore is like on all of this that he's been talking about for two and a half chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and most of 7. He gets here and he says, therefore, after all these commands I've given you, after all these things I've talked to you about, after all these things I've walked you through, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rains came down and the streams rose and temptation came and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it was built on the rock. And who is that? He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not just hears. People that actually act, people that actually do, they put it into practice. And then Jesus went on. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down and the streams rose and temptation came into their life and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Some translations say, and oh, what a crash it was. And some of you here this morning are like, yes, <laughs> yes, that's, that's it. I fell with a great crash. What do I do now? You've heard the word of God this morning. Listen to the word of God and put it into practice and rebuild. See, God's in the business of redeeming and rebuilding. Rebuild on the rock of Jesus Christ. Rebuild your life. 
so that when temptation comes again, you'll be able to stand your ground. And you can't do it alone. You can only do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you think righteousness is achievable in any other way, it's not. You can try harder, try harder, try harder. It's not going to work. You need Jesus. And when you focus on him, you find that the darkness of this world begins to fade and it's easier to follow him because you're what? You're close to him. You flee away from sin and into the arms of God. We have the opportunity to respond to this in two ways this morning. In just a couple minutes, we're going to sing a song. And during that song, there's going to be some, some elders and some staff uh, right over here. And if you need prayer, if you need to just talk to someone about anything going on in your life, you're feeling like, man, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be baptized. I want to see with a with a full baptistry earlier. Was that not awesome? I mean, I, 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 want, to, I want to be redeemed. I'm, I'm ready to, to move in a different direction in life. Then we, we invite you to come. But right now, we're going to take communion together. And hopefully you grab that as you came in. If you're with us online, hopefully you've made those preparations with a cracker and some juice. And I want us to remember that when we take this bread that represents Jesus' body and this cup that represents his blood, we do this in remembrance of him. And we do this in remembrance of him because of the hope that we have, because of the sacrifice of the Son of God. And that hope extends to you this morning. In that, if you have built your house upon the sand and it crashed, or maybe you're in the middle of the crash right now, like you drug yourself into church today. This is like, this is my last try at life right now. It's like, you're in the right place. Jesus wants to redeem you. Maybe you're one of those people that, I was walking with God and I made a mistake and I I built this relationship and, man, I'm having a hard time now. But whatever it is, God wants to forgive your sin. The scripture says that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why, why again? If he, if he saves us from our sins, he's faithful and just to save us from our sins, why do we need the next part? Purify us from all unrighteousness. It's because what? Purity paves the way to intimacy and God will not settle. He wants to be close to us. And it's only available through Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate this communion together. So let's pray and let's spend some time with Jesus this morning. Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the hope we can have in Christ Jesus that it doesn't matter how messed up we are, how much we've messed up our life. Lord, it is possible to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. God, that is the hope that all of us have, whether we're dealing with this sin or maybe we're dealing with sins from a couple weeks ago, God, or or maybe the commandments coming up are going to speak to us. Uh, God, I I just pray that we would repent and we would turn to you. Today, Lord, in this specific area, that we would flee and in fleeing, run into the arms of Jesus and run under your protection. God, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you that that resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead can resurrect our hearts and our lives today and can give us the power of your Holy Spirit living in us to say no, to put down boundaries and to not put ourselves in tempting situations. But God, I pray that in these next few moments we would just so highly value the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for loving us enough to send him the blameless one, the one who is always pure, not only in thought, but indeed his whole life. And he died that torturous death on a cross to buy our salvation, to, to atone for our sinfulness. God, I just pray you continue to speak to us in these next few moments as we spend this time 
with these elements remembering Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.